All right. Well, uh, welcome to a new year, uh, and we're going to continue our study of David, the life of David, which is one of the great stories in the Bible. And we have so much to learn from that series of scriptures on this issue. When we left off, we had, we had traced David right from the beginning as a young boy uh, coming and slaying the giant Goliath, winding up being in the palace of Saul for a number of years, uh, winding up being anointed by the prophet Samuel as the uh, eventual king of Israel. And then we see that we traced for 15 years just about, uh, Saul went after David uh, and tried to kill him repeatedly. And here we see a, a man submitting to the will of God, finding that there is evil after him, and yet submitting to the will of God and serving God, and never once really lifting his hand to strike back at Saul, because David respected the fact that Saul was the anointed man of God. Uh, and what a lesson that is for us as we say to God, Lord, I have, I have people that are persecuting me. I have people that are trying to bring me down. But Lord, I, I know you will fight my battles. You will take care of those that do not have my interests uh, at heart. And God promises you that he will do that. And you see that in the life of David, that God repeatedly took care of the enemies of David. And so we saw that after the conclusion of 15 years, uh, Saul is finally slain in battle, uh, and along with his son, Jonathan. Uh, and Jonathan was a dear friend of David, and you have to admire uh, the son, Jonathan, because here he is, a person who is poised to succeed his father as the king of Israel, and yet he recognized that it was God's will that another man should take that position, David. And he loved David, and David loved Jonathan. Uh, and so Jonathan always tried to lift David up and protect him. And yet you see that Jonathan is slain with his father in battle. And so as a result of this, David eventually takes the throne of Israel. He unites Israel, which had been divided. And now he's in a position where he is going to determine where the capital city of Israel will be. And Jerusalem was not at that point occupied by the Jews. It was occupied by the Jebusites. And so now the question was that David would, would reach out uh, and take Israel, uh, take Jerusalem back as the capital of Israel. And he does that uh, in a, a very significant way. If you would turn to 1 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. What a great verse that is. He became powerful not because of himself, not because of his gifts or his talents. He became powerful because God blessed him. He submitted to God, and God lifted him up and used him. He would be effectively the seminal king uh, in this world as an example of what God wants for men to be. Uh, and so much so that he would be within the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what God can do when he decides to do it? So you see this, power, this powerful image. And so now David is, is restoring Israel. He is uh, putting Jerusalem in its place as the capital of Israel. 
Uh, and so now the question becomes now, what's next for David? And what's next for David is that he has a desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, uh, to put it into the capital city. And let's understand why this is so important. The Ark of the Covenant was the very manifestation of God. The very power of God was on display in the Ark of the Covenant. God had directed the Jewish people back during the time that they had left Egypt while they were in the wilderness to build the Ark, to build it and build it with very specific instructions based on its length and its width. And it would have cherubim on each side with wings co uh, covering each other, covering the Ark. Uh, and there would be a lid on the top of the, of the Ark that would be covered with gold. And God said that would be where he would meet his people. He would be in that presence. And so now you recognize that for the first time in the history of the world, the very presence of God Almighty, the creator of the universe, is there in the Ark of the Covenant at that point. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had disappeared somewhere around 500 B.C., we still have not found it. Uh, they look all the time for it. Uh, and you'll see stories on television about it, but it's not never been found. Most likely it was taken during the Babylonian occupation and probably removed from Israel. We don't know. But here's the point. Jesus Christ is now the Ark of the Covenant. There is no need for a physical uh, representation of God. Jesus being the son of God coming to this world effectively represents everything and more that the Ark of the Covenant was. And so we have the Ark through Jesus. He is the Ark. He is the presence of God in every way. And so now we're about to begin uh, as David decides he wants to bring the Ark back. And so if you'd open your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, reading the first 11 verses or so, David again brought, brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. So just understand exactly how poignant that is. It is the representation of where God himself resides between the cherubim on the ark of the covenant. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? 
He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. This is a story that, as a young person, bothered me a lot. Uh, I was disturbed by this story as a young person because as I read this story, I said, gee, God, what's going on here? All the guy did was try to keep the ark from collapsing on the ground. He helped it. He wanted to keep it. He didn't want to see it hurt or destroyed. And yet, God, you you killed him because because he touched the ark of the Lord. Uh, And that's why you really have to drill down in your study of the Bible and understand what's going on when when you read these stories, because there's so much more going on besides the obvious words in, in their own way. And so as you see this, it's important to recognize how sovereign and holy the ark of God was. That from the beginning when it was created, it was created according to strict regulations uh, and and strict uh, commandments. It was to be built in a certain way. There were only supposed to be certain people that that built it, that had certain talents and gifts. Uh, And so you understand this. And, And from the beginning, the ark was only supposed to be carried in a certain way. It was to be carried on the shoulders of a certain group of tribesmen. Uh, It was to be carried by priests, and they were to carry it on poles. They were not supposed to touch it. They were not supposed to put it on a cart. They were not supposed to carry it in any vessel or wagon. It was to be carried on the shoulders of a particular group of Jewish men. That's what God decreed. And one of the first lessons that I, I see here is how irreverent we can be when it comes to recognizing the sovereignty of God. The, the nature of irreverence. God is sovereign. He demands to be worshipped in a certain way. He demands the respect that we have. And so when we approach him, when we worship him, we have to do it in a certain way according to the way that he wants. Really, frankly, it's, it's amazing today, even when I look and I see on television the way some of these uh, uh, churches operate uh, and have worship services, you have to scratch your head because you recognize that have they read the Bible about the sovereignty of God, about the seriousness of God, about who we're dealing with here. When you approach God in prayer or worship, the first thing you need to do is to acknowledge the sovereignty and seriousness and holiness of God. When Jesus gave the the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you know, when you look at the first opening stanzas of the Lord's Prayer, it's not about, Lord, I need this, God, give me this, help me here, fix this situation, address this situation. No, when Jesus prayed to the Father himself, and this is God praying to God, Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. There's been no specific personal request at this time. All that is, and that's about the first third of the, of the Lord's Prayer, is the recognition of the power and the sovereignty and the holiness of the creator of the universe, that you are reaching out to him to speak to him. And as you do that, you bow in submission. You bow to the holiness. You bow to the sovereignty and acknowledge the power and holiness of God. Hallowed be thy name. Amen? Hallowed be thy name. Father, I acknowledge you. Your name alone, your name alone is to be hallowed and to, and to be revered. Uh, and, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, an acknowledgement, first of all, that God, I want you to do in this world what you've already done in heaven. I didn't make a personal request yet. I didn't speak about what I personally need. What I did at this point is acknowledge the greatness, of the, the absolute greatness uh, of God and the sovereignty of God. And so you see this and understand exactly what the problem is here when David, even in his zeal, well-meaning, listen, there's a lot of people who are well-meaning who make major sins, who fall outside the will of God. Just because you're well-meaning doesn't mean you're going to do what God wants you to do. And you have to be recognizing, you have to recognize this issue. And so when God had determined and made, gave very specific instructions about how worship was to take place about how the Ark of the Covenant, which, which was effectively the very representation of the God of the universe. This becomes such a critical, uh, a critical issue. Uh, and, and one of the things that you see in David is he had such a heart for God. He had such a heart for God right from the beginning. Uh, and, and he wanted to establish Jerusalem, which would be a, a city of David, but would be devoted to the worship of God, and he wanted to have the Ark of the Covenant brought to Jerusalem. Um, and David had vowed to dedicate his life to finding a dwelling place uh, for God. Look at Psalm 132, if you would. Psalm 132. Till I find, I, verse 4, I will allow no sleep in my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. What a great man this is. That, that he put that as a, a prominent vow to God. And so his vow included establishing a building in Jerusalem for the ark to be placed. Now at this time, at this time, the ark sat in a small forest of Kirkath-Jezrem uh, in the house of Abinadad, where it lay neglected for many years. It may have been neglected uh, for almost 70 years, uh, as I've studied this. Um, and this came, came about because the Philistines ha had effectively uh, taken control of the ark. In these battles, they had controlled the ark uh, and and had seized it. Now this, if you study this, this is an amazing uh, passage when you see what happened here uh, with the Philistines. Uh, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1 Samuel, we see what happens here 
uh, uh, with the ark as it's in the territory of the Philistines. Now, if you have any, any doubt that the ark has tremendous power, that it was the very centerpiece of God during that period of time, and I told you that's been replaced by Jesus now, but during that period of time, it was a great, a great power center. Uh, you can look at uh, chapter 5 here. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Asherah. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Get this picture? The Philistines have now taken effectively the God, Jehovah himself, in the Ark and put it next to their stone uh, statue of Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. You like that? You like that? Think something's up? Okay. Fallen on his face. Well, they took Dagon, put him back in his place. They were clueless. They didn't realize. They put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon again fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His hand, head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Folks, you don't fool around with God. You don't fool around with God. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Uh, when you see, I, I love reading this. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon or any others who entered Dagon's temple at Eshdod step on the threshold. That's right. That's a good reason not to. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Eshdod on its vicinity. Now look what God did. Look at the power of God towards the enemies of Israel and people that do not respect the sovereignty of God. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors when the men of Eshdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and, because, and upon Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? Wow, what a powerful picture. These pagans recognizing that they are in the very presence of the God of the universe, right? They answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. Get it out of here. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. Can you just see this going on here? He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of, of the God to Ekron. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. Word spread. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people, for death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Now, let's understand something. The reason I'm reading this to you is to let you see that even pagans will suffer when they don't uh, honor the sovereignty of God. When the presence of God was, was there before them, and they didn't, and they, instead of bringing that ark right back to Israel, but they kept it and tried to put it in their temple, there was devastation placed upon them by God. Now, we're going to see in this story the, the analog between the pagans and David. That David, even though his heart was right, Uzzah, even though his heart was right, was not, was not uh, honoring God. 
God expects to be honored. This is all about the sovereignty and holiness of God. I mean, if I can't teach you anything else in this lesson today, I want to impress upon you how holy and sovereign God is. Uh, that, that uh, yes, God, we, we have a personal relationship with God. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he loves us. But in that loving relationship, there, there is a parameter in which God demands to be worshiped and revered. He is sovereign God. Make no mistake about it. And as we start the new year, what a great time to, to reiterate that and to focus on that. And so just look what happens next. When the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and, and the diviners and said, what shall we do? They answered, if you return the Ark of the God, do not send it away empty, but by all means send a guilt offering to him, then you will be healed. What guilt offering should we, should we send? Well, effectively, they send, they send money, and they put it on a cart, uh, and they send it out. And they send, these, send it out uh, to this territory in Israel called Beth Shemesh. Um, and so the cart then effectively is rolled out, led by these animals, brought to Beth Shemesh. It's now in uh, territory of Israel. And so you see... See what happens next. Verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced. They came to the field, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart, sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. All good right now, right? It's all good. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord, that's good, together with the chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemeth offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices. All good. But what happens next? Take a look. Uh, verse 19, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemeth, putting 70 of them to death. Wait a minute. These are Jews. 70 Jews will now die as a result of the ark? What's that about? Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people, mount, the people mourned because of the heavy blow that the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemeth asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the, gar, the ark go up from here? So let's understand, what did they do? They opened the ark to see if the Ten Commandment tablets were still there. And that was not their role. They were not to possibly open the ark. That was limited to, to uh, a very, the high priest was only supposed to look into the ark of the covenant. And so God, again, addressed the fact that they had violated his sovereign will. You don't just open the ark of the covenant. You just don't have this uh, proprietary relationship with this. You don't own the ark of the covenant. This is God himself. And so 70, 70 Jews are now struck dead as a result of this. Well, you can imagine uh, what, what goes on here uh, and the fear that they have. And so basically what they do is they, they stick the ark now into a house of one of, one of the Jewish people uh, and they keep it there uh, for many, many years. And effectively, the ark is kind of out of commission, out of the general state of worship as it sits uh, in this, the house of Abinadad. And so uh, moving on to our outline so you can see where we are, uh, clearly God is telling them that disobedience would bring death. 
You don't obey the sovereign will of God. You're setting yourself up for death. Uh, and so after this disaster, point six of my outline now, after this disaster, the ark was moved to Kiran Jerem, about 10 miles northwest of Jerusalem. The, the return of the ark here seemed to be a tangible sign that God was once again among his people to bless them and deliver them from their oppressors. And so now David wants to bring the ark back to this city to the holy city. He wants to establish a place of worship for God. He wants to honor God. And so his zeal and passion are, are significant. The Ark of the Covenant should be right there in Jerusalem where they should worship God. And David loved God, but he was careless here. He didn't go back and read the commandments that said that the ark had to be carried uh, on the shoulders of the priests, that it had to be carried by poles, that it could not be put on a cart. The, the, the passage here says that he prepared a new cart. Well, it didn't matter if it was a new cart or an old cart. It was the wrong way to speak to God. You don't deal with God like this. And so you see what happens. And so uh, Uzzah is struck dead. Uh, now, that's the, the reason why I remember as a young man reading this story and said, God, what kind of God are you that you would strike dead someone who is trying to do the right thing? No, he's not doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing in his own mind, but not within the will of God. Amen. You see the difference? You may have an interpretation of how you think God wants you to act. But if it's not consistent with his word, if it's not consistent with his commandments, don't create a new word. Don't create a new commandment. Don't rewrite the story of God based on your own experience. You can't do that. You have to go back and see what did God expect from his people? How was God to be treated? How do you approach God? And you understand the sovereignty and holiness of God. And that's not what happened here. And that's why Uzzah was struck dead. And so now David is paralyzed. He's angry. He's paralyzed uh, with fear because he thought he was doing the right thing. He had this entire uh, parade set up with 30,000 men, and this whole thing collapses in front of him. And so now uh, this terrible, terrible death takes place. And so there's a leadership lesson for us today. It is important to approach worship and ministry in a way that the word instructs us to seek the fullness of God's blessing. This is key. God wants you to study the word and to see what his rules and commandments are so that you understand how he is to be worshiped, how he is to be approached. What is the degree of reverence that you have? And if I had to say one thing that I noticed today about many so-called Christians is that they do not respect the holiness of God. They do not respect the holiness of God. I often hear people who are uh, putatively Christians take, God, take God's name in vain. Can you imagine? I mean, it's no different than what you see here with Uzzah touching, touching the Ark of the Covenant in a way that God didn't want it. You take the, the Lord's name in vain, you're taking, a very serious, you're taking a very serious chance. And God will revere his name. 
God will revere his name. Just like he revered his name with the pagans, he revered his name with the Israelites. It didn't matter that they were the people of God. He held them to the same standard. Uh, I will not be taken for granted. I will not be, be uh, blasphemed. Uh, and so in fear, David puts the ark aside in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house for three months. But during this three-month hiatus, that house was blessed incredibly uh, while the Ark of the Covenant stood there. What does that mean? Again, it's a representation of Jesus Christ. When you take Jesus into your house and you, and you treat Jesus with the respect and love that he, de- that he deserves as God, God honors you. He honors your household. He blesses your household in so many ways. Uh, and so now David goes back and studies the scriptures and realizes I was wrong. I didn't do it the right way. I have to go back and change the way I handle, I handle this. And I have to bring the ark back the way God wants me to bring it back. And so if you read with me, following where we left off, uh, the, starting with verse 11, 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. In other words, when we treat God with the appropriate respect and worship him the way he wants, blessings flow into our lives. When our lives are consistent with the will of God, where we are serving him the way he wants to be served, when we are leading the kind of life he wants you to lead, the blessings will flow into your life. That's a promise that, that God gives you. All right. Now King David was told this. Uh, so David went down, verse 12, David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Now let's get a picture of what we have. Now it's no longer on a cart. Now it's lifted on poles. It's carried by the priests. And every six steps, they stop and sacrifice a fatted calf to honor God. Every six steps. Can you imagine how long this journey took? Every six steps, it was the recognition of God. We, we honor you. We know how holy you are and how sovereign you are, Father. And so we want to do what's right by you. So six steps, stop. They do a sacrifice, pick it up again. Six steps, stop, sacrifice, and do it again. What a picture this is. But the other picture that it shows me, it's, it shows me what kind of man David is. You see, he's not a guy who would sit there in anger and resentment against God. He didn't sit there, and yet he said, Lord, what is it that you want? How can, I, how can I address this issue in my life? And because of prayer and, and searching the scriptures and, and relying on people who, who gave him good advice, he recognized that he had to change the way he was doing business. And he did, and God blessed it. All right, God bless this. And so uh, verse 14, as this parade continues, David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpet. That, what you have there is worship as worship 
is constrained to be done. Worship in the presence of God. David dancing before the ark of God, effectively rejoicing that the presence of God is back in Israel, that God had given him the privilege to bring the ark back uh, to the capital city. And, he, and look at how he's dressed. He's not dressed as a king. He's not dressed as a king. In fact, he's got on a linen ephod, which was what effectively a priest would be. And so David is effectively taking the role of the priest at this point in a humble fashion, wearing the most humble of attires and standing and dancing before the ark of the God in worship, in exclamatory, joyous worship. And really, that's another example for us today, that when we, when we worship God, that when we seek him, there should be the joy of Jesus in your hearts. And I spoke about this yesterday, but I think it's appropriate to use, to speak again at this time of the year, the first part of the year. You are incredibly blessed. You sit here today, I'm, not, I'm looking at every single person in this room, you are incredibly blessed. First of all, you live in Naples, Florida, okay? Just turn on the weather channel, okay? Check out the weather, I know some of you have a little light jacket on today, a little light sweater, because I don't know, what is it, 60? You know, and so it's a little, some of us are getting a little bit of a chill, all right? Uh, and, and I hear a couple of moans. Meanwhile, when you're back home, it's zero. I don't mean the wind chill is zero. The actual temperature is zero. I saw that this morning in New Jersey was zero, all right? So you are blessed. God allowed you to come and find this place. And secondarily, you are in a place where there is a high spiritual temperature where you can be with men who love God, where there are available Bible studies that can come together and you can worship together and, and you can affiliate together and get prayed for together and get affirmed and lifted up in so many ways. I said, really, this is a, God has blessed you. And more importantly than that, you are saved. You have given Jesus your heart and he has sealed your heart with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that you will be with Jesus the very moment that you leave this world. You don't have anything to worry about. God has promised you he will take care of you. He will give you the necessities that you require. Maybe not give you everything you want. Maybe you want that bigger house. Maybe you want a bigger boat, all right? But Jesus has determined that for you, that's not in, the, in, in your radar. Because if he did that to some of you, we'd never see you here again, all right? He knows that. And he wants to help you. He wants to give you the best kind of life. But the joy of Jesus should be in your heart. That's why every one of you should have the most incredible smile on your face, filled with the joy of understanding that you are exactly where God wanted you to be. And if you don't have that, see me and we'll pray and we'll make it right because you should have that. That's what it means about being a Christian. All right. And so look, does, does, that, does that mean that we walk around like we had lobotomies? No, it doesn't mean you walk around in, like a lobotomy. Of course, we have bad diagnosis. Bad things come our way. But at the end of the day, when the cloud lifts, we know where we're going. I'm going with Jesus. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see my father and mother. I'm going to see my family. And I'm going to see you there someday. And you're going to see me. We have that guarantee. Can you imagine to be able to sit there and look into the face of Jesus Christ? To look and see God and know that he did this for us? 
And so you should have the joy of the spirit of Jesus in your heart. That's why David is dancing in front of the ark. That's why he's dancing in front of the ark. I can barely contain myself right now as I think about this. Really, as I think about this at the start of the year, it's like the Holy Spirit is just slamming me right now on this very issue about what it means, what it means, the privilege that we have to be called the sons of God, to be saved, to know where we're going. And you see this with David. David, even though he recognized he made a mistake, he shouldn't have done it. And so now here he is dancing in front, in front of the, the uh, ark of God. Uh, but, you know, here it is. Don't put your dancing shoes on yet. It's not all great. All right? Satan's there. Amen. Satan's there. Just when you think, oh, this is good. The blessings are great. The ark is coming back. God is blessing me. Oh, I can't contain myself. I'm dancing away in front of the ark. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Remember, this is his wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen. What a great picture, huh? Your wife. How many times have I said to you, be not unequally yoked. You understand what that means? Be not unequally yoked when you say to your, your children or now your grandchildren and you see them get married, make sure they marry someone that has the same picture of God as we do, who reverences God the way we do. Look, I'm not saying I have to be the same denomination. God doesn't care about denominations. Let's get that out of the way right now in January. All right. I am not a denominationalist. I am a Christian, all right? And God focuses on the heart. And so Michael here, Michael here did not share David's view of God. She did not share his zeal. She was jealous of the fact that David could worship God in that way. Uh, and she despised him for it. Imagine now living with somebody like that, your wife, who, who effectively is undermining and eroding your spiritual life. This is a serious, serious issue. Uh, and I pray, I pray that if you know people like that, pray for them, because that is a terrible, terrible thing to have to live through. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place beside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. You see him, he's in the nature of a priest now. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. Mocking, mocking him in the way that he is approaching God. And let me tell you something, folks. This is not an unusual thing to happen. As you get closer to God, as you decide to step out for God, there are going to be people in your life, frankly, some of them very close 
family members who are going to mock you and make fun of you and make vulgar comments about it. And if David, one of the greatest men who ever walked in this world, had experienced it and still looked at God and said, I don't care, I'm going to serve God, then that's the lesson for you. Do not be distracted or dismayed when this happens. Do not. You should know that, in fact, if something like this is happening, most likely it's Satan determining that, you know what? I'm getting scared with this guy. This guy's bothering me. He's getting too close to the cross of Christ. He's going to be attracting other men to Jesus. I think I need to douse him right now. What better way to douse him than have the wife make fun of you? Imagine. You see how evil comes that close into into our hearts. Uh, And so David said to Michael, verse 21, it was before the Lord, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes by, by these slave girls you spoke of. I will be held in honor. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you make fun of me. I don't care that you say I look humiliated. I will humiliate myself further. I will abase myself. I will submit myself before the God of the universe as I worship him and bow at him. Uh, And he speaks up to his wife and, and sets her straight. And then you see this very poignant verse about what happens next. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Oh boy. Folks, be very careful about criticizing people of God. Be very careful. Be very careful about criticizing people who are trying to worship God, who are trying to get closer to God. God takes this very seriously. We're studying here right now, seeing effectively what God does uh, in terms of, of recognizing his sovereignty and his holiness. Uh, and this is so important. And so you see this, that God denied Michael any children. Uh, and, and you know that David would have other children, many other children. One of them would become Solomon. Uh, and Solomon would become the great king who would ultimately build the tabernacle, would, would do this. But you see what happens when we don't, Give God the sovereignty and the worship that he's entitled to. I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 25. Just to see how how clear God is in speaking about his will. Exodus 25. And this is a short time after the people of Israel are brought out of Egypt. All right. Um, And... And look at, look at the, uh, how the, God gives instructions about uh, constructing the ark. Verse 10. Have him make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast, cast the four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with wood. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put the ark, put in the ark the, the testimony, which I will give you. Now, folks, do you think God just cavalierly said, well, make a box? Just make, just make a box. It'll be good. Don't worry about it. Just, just make a box. 
Are you kidding me? Make a box? This is, this is an incredible uh, directive about how God expects worship to take place. No, you're going to be making the Ark of the Covenant where I intend to come down and be within the people of Israel. It will be the first time the God of the universe will reside in this world. And this is how I want it to be. And you will build it this way. And, 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 and continuing, look what he says next in verse 17. Make an atonement cover. Notice the word, an atonement cover. That's where the high holy days are going to be celebrated. That's where the blood is going to be shed. That is where I intend to come down and be with you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a, a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make a cherubim of one piece with the cover. How about that? Make it of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing the cover with them. It is, in effect, the very picture of the throne of God in heaven. And that is what God is instructing them to do. He is, in effect, bringing heaven, the throne of heaven, to this world, to his people. It is where I will reside. All right? The cherubim are to face each other. Look at verse uh, 21. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. The testimony is the stone tablets. It is the Ten Commandments. And they sit in the ark of the covenant. There, verse 22, and this is the powerful verse. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Amen? I will meet with you. That is where I will be with you. What a picture this is of the power of God uh, and why the ark was so important uh, and why God demanded that we worship in a certain way. Uh, and so uh, David had to be redressed for not doing it the way God demanded it to be done. And so we cannot always understand God. God's ways and man's ways are as far apart as the east is from the west. And so if you were there that day and you saw uh, Uzzah be struck dead, you would probably be blaming God. You would be saying, what kind of God is this? Just like if you were there in the first century church where Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead after they came and gave money. After all, they gave money, right? Uh, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you don't understand what it means in terms of the total uh, sovereignty and holiness of God. And this is what I want to say as we start this new year. God, make us mindful of your holiness. Make us respect you even more, God. Even as we have this personal relationship with you, as we have this fellowship, help us to have this understanding of your holiness and sovereignty and power as we bow before you and we see this example of David, who when he didn't do that, suffered, and how a man was, was struck dead. And yet we understand, Lord, that when we do bow and we follow your will and accede to your commandments, the blessings flow and flow and flow. And so you want the blessings of God in your life? You want to be able to do this? This is the promise that God makes. Right there above the cover, uh, as he said there to the Israelites, I will 
be with you. I will be with you. Now, God promises that to us today. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. We have something greater than the Ark of the Covenant. We have Jesus Christ, all right? And Jesus Christ is with us constantly. We don't look to a physical manifestation of it. We look to the spiritual manifestation. Jesus Christ is in your heart. He resides in your heart. God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He's made you a part of the kingdom of God. And now what he expects from you is to live a life consistent with the holiness of God. You understand you're God's person. You want to serve God. You can't live a reckless life. You can't do the things that you used to do. You want to look at God and see him and live in the way that he wants you to live. You want to respect him and honor his sovereignty, honor his holiness in every way. And as you do that, he gives you the grace to follow and do him and the mercy to seek him. And he pours blessing after blessing after blessing in your life. And we're going to continue to see this with David as God will continue to lift him up uh, and, and allow him uh, to have great success as, as the king of Israel. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer and continue next week with our study of David. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this picture that you've given us. This picture of worship, Father. Understanding what true worship is and sovereignty, Lord, and holiness. Father, I ask you to make us mindful every day of your sovereignty and holiness, even as we approach your throne and ask for intervention in so many ways, God. I ask you that you make us more mindful of who you are, how great you are, that you created us, that you created this entire universe, Father. And so we bow before your throne. And Lord, I ask you that this lesson that we heard today will resonate in our heart that it will continue to grow and that we will be drawn closer to you in every way. And as we pledge ourselves to serve you this year, Father, in an ever increasingly more poignant way, give us grace and mercy to do that. Be with our brothers, bless them this week, protect us all, Father, until we can continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.